Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Hallelujah. In the book of Leviticus, there's a powerful principle. He said that when you go through your field and you begin to harvest everything that you've sown seed into and you've harvested, he said you got to leave the corners of the field. You can't eat what's in the corner because it doesn't belong to you. That's for the people right now that don't have, they don't have any grain. They don't have a field. They're they're relying upon what you've produced. They're relying upon what you've been cultivating to get them through this season. Amen. He said, so that doesn't belong to you. It's for the widow. It's for the orphan. It's for the beggar. It's for the one that doesn't have a field. Can I tell you right now, you need to have a worship that's not just for you, but it's for somebody else in this room. If the only time you worship is when you need something, Amen, you're in trouble. You need to worship right now, not because you need something, but because somebody around you needs something. I'm not just going to worship when I need something, but I'm going to give God praise today so that you can be strengthened. I want you right now to give God a praise for somebody around you. I want you to be radical in your praise right now. It's not time to be sophisticated. It's not time to pretend you got it all together. I want somebody to get beside themselves in praise right now. I've got something in the corner of my field. I've got some praise left over that is for you. Come on, living hope, there's somebody in the building that doesn't have their own field. They're relying on your worship. They're relying on your praise. They're relying on your faith in this season. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. One more time, let's give God a hand clap of praise. Let's try that again. One more time. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Let the high praises of God be in your mouth. Hallelujah. The Bible says let the high praises of God be in your mouth. There's no way I'm going to clap. My next Sunday is a Super Bowl. And I don't even remember who's playing. There's no way I'm going to clap my hands harder for Matthew Stafford than I do for Jesus. I don't, I don't have any problem if they make a good play. I don't have any problem giving them a little bit of acclaim and, hey, that was a good job. That's what praise is. It's lauding the works of somebody. But there's no way I'm going to give Matthew Stafford a louder hand clap than I am Jesus Christ. So one more time, let's give Jesus a hand clap. A praise. 
stand if you would open your Bibles with me to the book of John. If you would open to the book of John, chapter 13. Amen. Super Bowl comes around and we want a good game. We don't want to blow out. We want a last second Hail Mary. Amen. We want a close game, a defensive battle with some offensive highlights. Nobody wants to put the popcorn away before halftime because the game's already over. Best case scenario, we want overtime. We want our proverbial money's worth. Then when the preacher gets the microphone, we want we want four down, we want three downs and a punt. We want three points and a punt. Preacher, hurry up and get this over with because I got things to do. I wonder if anybody came hoping for overtime today. I'm going to try that again. I wonder if anybody came ready for overtime today. I, I wonder if somebody would lose the pulpit right now to say, Preacher, however long it takes you. We don't, want, we don't want three downs and a punt. We want the Word of God today. We don't want some quick sermon so we can get about our Sunday. We want a move of God that will draw us to an altar of repentance. Hallelujah. John 13, verse 18. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. Previous verse, he had just challenged them in some acts of obedience. He said to them in verse 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Then he said there's some exclusions here. It's not for all of you. Because he said, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe, said something's getting ready to happen. I'm telling you before it happens so that when it does happen, you're going to believe that I am he that I'm Messiah. And here's what he says is going to happen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And when Jesus had said thus, he was troubled in spirit and testified. Here's what he said. This is what's going, getting ready to happen. When I tell you it's going to happen, you're not going to believe it. But when it does happen, you're going to believe that I am he. He said, truly, truly, I say unto you, one of you, shall betray me. The disciples did what we would do, and they looked at one another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, and Simon Peter therefore beckoned to that disciple that he would ask Jesus, who is this one that would betray him? He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto them, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is to whom I will give a sop. He it is to whom I will give bread after I have dipped it. When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into Judas. And after the bread, Satan entered into Judas. Then said Jesus unto Judas, that thou doest, do quickly. After the bread, 
Satan entered into Judas. Amen. I want to preach for just a few minutes. No, I want to preach to overtime today. I see a mixed bag of, re of reactions out there when I say that. Some of you are looking really concerned right now. I want to preach for a little while today on this thought before the bread. The Bible said in verse 27, after the bread, Satan entered in. And I want to preach before the bread. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. While there are various types of bread ranging from multigrain bread, whole wheat bread, sourdough, French, Italian, and a host of other types of breads, there are a few core ingredients that are found in nearly every type of bread. For it to be categorized as bread, they are these common elements that you will find in these breads. First and fundamentally, there is flour. Flour is the ingredient that provides the structure. Flour interacts and mingles with water. That interaction forms the network of strains that provide the structure of the bread. If there is no flour, you cannot have bread. The second essential ingredient is water. Water is essential to the overall consistency of the bread. Water moistens the flour, providing the ability for the baker to form the dough. It binds the various dry ingredients throughout the dough and it also provides as the agent that will carry the yeast throughout the entire lump of dough. Which brings us to the third essential ingredient in bread, yeast being a single microorganism. Yeast is actually a living organism. And it is the yeast that leads to the leavening of the dough. What makes the dough plump and rise and gives it some volume to it. It converts the sugar in the flour into tiny bubbles of carbon dioxide, which then become trapped in the dough. And during this process, the bubbles, the carbon dioxide expand and give texture and also give a airiness or a lightness to the dough. The fourth common element in bread is salt. And salt is a, a balancing agent. It controls the action of the yeast and slows the fermentation process as well as providing added flour or flavor rather to the bread. And then finally there is sugar. The purpose of sugar in dough is not just to provide sweetness, rather sugar is the food element for the yeast. It is the sugar that gives, as the yeast begins to feed upon the sugar, that is what produces the carbon dioxide which causes the bread to expand and to rise. If there is a shortage of sugar, the yeast will stop feasting and carbon dioxide will not be produced and probably your bread will turn out like the bread that I've tried to make in the past, more like a cracker than bread. There are various other ingredients that aid in the flavor, the texture, the consistency of bread, milk, eggs, oil, various types of grain that can be used. My favorite, I don't know if it's really a bread, but pumpkin bread. Riley, just a hint. Pumpkin bread. All of these ingredients go into the making of bread. These are the necessary ingredients that must be combined and together they bring about the end product of bread. Obviously my intent today is not to raise your awareness of culinary crafts. My purpose today is not to conduct a tutorial on the baking of bread. Rather, I want to look at a moment of betrayal that would set in motion the greatest act of love 
ever known to humanity while simultaneously sealing the fate of a disciple named Judas. This moment that is brought to the forefront around the occasion of the feast of the Passover and in particular the ceremonial remembrance of the Passover lamb and the eating of bread. In just reading through this passage, if today you started in John 13 and you picked up somewhere around verse number 18 or even previous to that, as we begin to read of this instance that takes place where Judas betrays Jesus and the breaking of the bread where Jesus gives the bread to Judas, if that's all that you look at is just that one portion of Scripture, this handing of the bread from Jesus to Judas looks like a setup. Amen. It looks to be like an unfair trap that Judas unknowingly walks into. It would look to be that Judas just happens to be the wrong disciple in the wrong place at the right time. Amen. It would look that he is a predestined perpetrator, a foreordained felon, an unwilling participant in the ultimate act of betrayal. If all that you do is read the context of these verses, it looks like Judas has no choice in the matter but to betray Jesus. Jesus declares, if you pick up with me in your Bibles, in verse number 21, he looks to his 12 disciples. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you, they're a good thing to bring with you to church. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm just saying it's like going to the restaurant without a fork and a knife. It's a little difficult. Amen. Some of you aren't even looking at me right now. Bring, tell your neighbor, bring your Bible with you. Hey, if your neighbor says, I don't have one, we can hook them up. We can make sure they have a Bible. But Jesus declares in the 21st verse of your Bible, of chapter 13 of John, he looks at his 12 disciples and he says, one of you, one of my 12 closest friends, one of the 12 most devoted followers, one of you is going to betray me. As would happen here today, if I were to say right now, in this building, somebody is going to betray me. One of you this week is going to turn your back on me. One of you this week is going to set me up for failure. I would hope that it wouldn't be a multitude of you saying, ooh, it's me, it's me. <laughs> Probably you would look around at one another like, no, that couldn't happen. It couldn't be one of us. We love Pastor Staten, and, and, and I'm just going to go with that. All right, everybody go with that today. Let's just pretend. But, but, but 12 disciples, 12 men that had left everything to follow Jesus, 12 men that had been there for the miracles, for the feast, that, that had been there and watched the life of Jesus, and yet Jesus looks at the 12 of them and says, out of the 12 of you, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to turn their back on me. One of you is going to do the unthinkable, and you are going to perform treason and turn your back on Jesus. Looks of confusion, glances of suspicion pass through the room as rumblings of denial and whispers of shock and disbelief crescendo into a question that is posed by John the Beloved is all around the room. They're beginning to plead their case. It's not me. I know it's not me. Hey, I, I got Jesus, a, 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 you know, a new shaving kit for Christmas last year. It's not me. I, I love Jesus, Sam, right? I, I'm the guy, right? I made that, that pumpkin bread for Jesus last, his last birthday. I love Jesus. And they look around the room trying to convince one another that it's not them. But John the Beloved, prompted by Peter, turns to Jesus and simply says, Who is it? Who? 
is going to be the one. If it's got to be one of us, who is it going to be? Which is it among us that will be so filled with treason and malice that they would betray the mighty Messiah? Jesus looked at the the disciple, John the Beloved, who the Bible says leaned upon his bosom. And he said, it's the one that I'm going to give the bread to. Amen. He said it loud enough for the whole room to hear. It's the one that I'm getting ready to dip this bread into the, 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 the food that is in front of me. And I'm going to hand this bread to that one disciple. And whichever disciple it is that I give the bread to, that is the one that is going to betray me. That is the one that's going to sell me for 30 pieces of silver. That is the one that is going to fulfill Old Testament prophecy and betray me. Can I imagine today if I said, you know, one of you is going to sell me out? One of you is going to turn their back on me and whoever I, I hand this phone to, that's the one. If I... I figured that. I should have gone to the other side of the room. Hopefully, if that were what I did, you know, you'd start moving out of the way. Right? You'd start moving out of the way. And not me. It's not me. It's not me. And But Jesus said the identifying mark is the bread. The bread is going to be the distinguishing factor. It's the bread. Whoever I give the bread to, that's the one. It could have been any of the 12. It could have been Bartholomew, Thaddeus, James, or John. But no, it was Jesus, or Judas rather. Judas, who maybe it looks like just from a quick glance, it was Judas who was sitting in the wrong seat at the wrong time who would draw the the most unlucky of all straws to be drawn, the bread. It was the bread that changed everything. It was the moment that would change everything, a moment so defining that 2,000 years later to call someone a Judas is reserved for the most deceitful and manipulative of backstabbers. Not many Judases being named today. Anybody here named your child Judas? We'll pray for him if you did. In 2018, it ranked as the 5,379th most popular name, just above Satan and Spartacus. If you want to, yeah, I don't know. Sparty, little Sparty. Judas. Nobody names their child Judas. Why? Because of what happened that day when the bread was passed from the hand of Jesus to the waiting hand of Judas. The moment of the passing of the bread is such a defining moment that verse 27 tells us that it was after the sop or after the bread, after Jesus dipped that bread into the soup and he handed that bread to Judas, the Bible says that the moment is so defining that after the bread had been passed, at that moment, Satan entered into Judas. What was it about the sop? What was it about the sop? That served as a salutation for Satan. What was it about the dipping of the bread that would bring Judas to such a place that Satan would enter into him? I rise today to tell you that the bread in the hand of Judas was not a predestined conclusion. Amen. Judas was not just the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Judas was not just somebody sitting there that because he's the one Jesus gave the bread to that he had no choice but to vote feel the prophecy that had been spoken in the book of Psalms. Amen. The sop being passed to Judas was not an unjust act of roulette that would forever seal his fate. It wasn't just Judas was the unlucky one of the twelve that landed him in the wrong place and would seal his fate for eternity. No, this moment 
I hope you're listening to me today because I'm reaching for somebody. I, I, I hope you're listening today because I'm reaching for somebody's soul. I'm reaching beyond time and I'm, pre- I'm reaching into your eternity. I know last week I preached to you about promises in God's plan. But today I'm preaching about your eternity because I'm preaching to somebody in the building today that the bread is in the house today. I'm preaching to somebody in this building today. The enemy would lead us to look at Judas and say it wasn't his fault. He was just the unlucky one. It had to be one of them. If it wasn't Judas, it would have been Bartholomew. But this was not just prophetic roulette. There were ingredients that brought us to the moment of Judas and the bread. Turn back with me if you would. I just want to look at three ingredients that bring us to the bread. That bring us to this moment that Jesus passes the bread to Judas. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost today. I don't know what kind of servant, I don't know what kind of response there will be today, but I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel an urgency in the Holy Ghost today that God is reaching for somebody. God is reaching for somebody in this building today that sin is destroying you, that the devil has seduced you. Hallelujah, that you're in the midst of making decisions that are going to define your very eternity. And if you listen to me for the next 30 minutes, God is throwing you a lifeline. If you listen to me for the next 30 30 minutes of listening is worth your eternity. 30 minutes, amen, of listening and taking heed to the word of God is worth determining. Determining your eternity. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 12. Beginning in verse 3. And we are ushered here in this scene into the home of Lazarus. Yes, Lazarus. Who had been four days dead. Till Jesus showed up in Bethany. Spoke the words, Lazarus come forth. Now Jesus is in the home of Lazarus. Jesus and his disciples have been invited as guests into the home of Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. And verse 3 tells us that as everyone has been seated at the table for dinner, Mary walks into the room. With very expensive ointment, she pours a costly concoction on to the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says she washes his feet with her hair. And instantly as she pours that precious ointment upon the feet of Jesus, the odors of precious ointment mingle with the aroma of freshly freshly baked bread, stewing vegetables and roasted meat. And as these aromas fill the air, the 12th chapter of John, we have been invited as audience to witness this beautiful selfless act of worship. But the aroma of ointment and a waiting feast are not the only elements impacting the atmosphere in the home of Judas, because verse, rather of uh, the guy, who's the guy that you said, Lazarus, thank you. Because verse 4 tells us, then says one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? First ingredient. This was not just some random roulette. Judas sitting in the wrong place and Jesus handing him the bread. Judas' heart had been prepared for that moment for a long time. Judas was not just handed the bread because he was a random one of 12. 
Judas had brought his heart to that place through a common or rather through a process of decisions that he made. And this same step takes place in churches today all across our nation. It takes place in the lives of those professing to be followers of Jesus in throughout the church world even today. And the first step is this, that Judas saw worship as waste. Amen. Judas looked at the worship of Mary and he said, why did we make a waste of this? Why did we waste what could have been sold? Why did we waste this precious ointment that we could have sold and we could have used it and we could have given it to the poor? One of the marks that you are headed toward the bread of betrayal, amen, that you will be the one that the sop is passed to is you began to despise worship, amen. You began to look at worship as a waste. When you, view, when you view the selfless adoration of the Almighty as a waste, you are headed toward the bread of betrayal. When you view worship as a waste of time, when you view worship as a waste of energy, when you view worship as the waste of your affection, When you look at worship as a waste, when you see Brother James run around the room and you say to yourself, what a waste of time, what a waste of his emotion, you are on your way to the bread of betrayal. Worship will never be a waste. It's always a good thing to give praise unto the Lord. It's always a good thing to magnify Jesus. Some of you same jokers that won't even squirm in your seat when Jesus is moving in the building, you'll, you'll roll across the floor, you'll gyrate and shake and move when somebody puts a, ba a, ba a ball in a bucket or crosses an end zone. I want to tell you, worship is the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do today is lift your hands. The best thing you can do today is lift your voice. Brother James, what you're doing right now is not a waste. It's the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do is magnify you. Hey, the worst thing you can do is sit there when you've got something precious to give Jesus. But Judas plays the trump card. He pretends to spiritualize his spirit. He pretends to spiritualize. You ever met those people you can't really, because they're always too spiritual. Try to confront them about something like, well, I saw an angel the other day. Well, I can't, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and Judas pretends to spiritualize a Diabolical spirit that is at work in him. A spirit that is beginning its work as he scoffs at Mary. As she breaks open that box and pours the ointment. And then with her hair, she begins to wash the feet. And, and Judas inside is scoffing. But he, he covers it up with a spiritual statement when he says that we could have sold this and given the proceeds to the poor. I mean, who's going to correct that, right? 
I mean, who's going to look at Judas and say, come on, Judas, get your act together. That's worship. No, no, because Judas spiritualizes his carnality. Amen, amen. Why didn't it sound so spiritual? What do you even say to somebody like that? You've probably heard these spiritual imposters before. All of this running around and dancing as church is foolish. I just feel like we should be more reverent in the presence of, it ain't got nothing to do with you reverencing God. It's got to do with the fact you don't have any praise left. You gave your praise to your boss this week. You gave your praise to your football team this week. Hey, I didn't give my praise to everybody else. I saved it for Jesus. Stop spiritualizing your carnality and give God praise. I'm not saving what belongs to Jesus to give it to the poor. I'm going to give it to Jesus. Well, I'm more of an analytical thinker. I just like to think about the goodness of Jesus. Spiritualizing carnality. You can be analytical and still give God. There's plenty of you. We got a lot of analytics in this church, but you still give God praise. Because your analysis will never figure out faith. Your analysis will never produce the miracles of God. One plus one will never equal what Jesus can do. I think the pastor is a little too emotional in his delivery of the word. We need to be more pious in our delivery of the word, carnalized, spiritualized, rather, carnality. These altar calls are a waste. If these people were as spiritual as me, they would pray throughout the week and they wouldn't have to spend as much time in the altar. Spiritualized carnality. If you ever get so spiritual that you don't need an altar, your spirituality is fake. Amen. Spirituality begins at an altar. Spirituality always starts at an altar. Spirituality starts and ends at an altar. You will never outgrow your need for an altar. The problem was... He he did not despise this woman's worship because he wanted to give the profit to the poor. John, retroactively looking back, said the reason Judas said that is because he was a thief. And he didn't want something being wasted on Jesus that could have gone in his pocket. Some of you care too much about what your neighbor thinks about you. I could never run the aisles like James. I've got a reputation to uphold. I'd be worried about my reputation if praise messed it up. Some of you girls, listen, hold on. I'm going to meddle for a minute. Hallelujah. All right, here's pastor. I'm going to take my, my, my preacher hat off and put my pastor. If you're in this church and you're dating a young man and he doesn't worship, before this service is over, you need to break it off. Young man, if you're dating a lady in this church and she never cries in the altar, the best thing you can do is break it off before I'm finished preaching. (laughs) 
Because worship is never a waste. Worship is always the best thing you can do. When you get to the point that you are too mature to get a little undignified in the presence of God. I wish I could get some young men to stand up right now and just act a fool for Jesus. I'm going to say it again. I wish I could get some young men that would stand up right now and act a fool for Jesus. You want to attract a godly young lady? Then get attracted to God and you'll attract the right lady. I wish I had some young ladies that would stand up right now and say, hey, buddy, if my praise is too good for you, then you're not the right guy. Because when the Spirit of the Lord moves upon me, I'm going to dance, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to shout. I know some of you are praying. I'll move on to the second point of my preaching right now. But if you're here today and you're, if you're in, in the midst of a carnal relationship, it's my God-called duty to break that relationship up. Uh, I feel I better watch what I'm going to say. So. No, trust me. I need to not say what I was thinking. Let's move to the second point. Sometimes you can get a little reckless in the pope and you got to pull your own chain a little bit. Hallelujah. Y'all are trying to make me y'all try to get me in trouble right now. Church Milk will be waiting on that one. Let's turn to John chapter 13. Hallelujah. Let me just not say what I was going to say and say it this way. If your relationship has more activity going on outside of the church and there's nothing happening inside the church, you need to break that thing off. If you can't come to an altar together, you don't need to be together. If you can't lift holy hands together, you don't need to be together. Pastor, I don't really agree with what you're saying. I don't care. That's why you're not the pastor. Because I've got a responsibility to help you get to heaven. And you ain't going to get to heaven in the middle of a carnal relationship. The second ingredient, the second ingredient that brings Judas to the bread, John 13 and 2, John chapter 13 verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil, listen, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. The other 11 disciples are oblivious 
to the contempt that is cultivating in the heart of Judas. They have no idea. Oh, John does later, after the fact, after Judas sells him for 30 pieces of silver, the gospel of John is written years after the occasions have taken place. And now John is reaching back and saying, man, that's the reason why he's a thief. But in the moment, they have no idea what's going on in the heart of Judas. But Jesus is not oblivious. Take it to the bank. When Mary broke the alabaster box and poured the contents upon the feet of Jesus, Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the heart of Judas. He knew that Judas was wrestling with a covetous spirit of greed. He knew that Judas' cry for charitable giving to the poor was a cover-up for a lust for lucre that was stirring deep within him. But listen, yet Jesus did not take the bag. Judas was the treasurer. Jesus didn't mess up when he called Judas. Not one of those 12 disciples was perfect. Every one of them had flaws. Judas' flaw was he loved money. And so Jesus called him to take care of the money. Hmm. How many of you ever marvel at the fact that Jesus called you in spite of stuff you know about you? Oh, 25%. The rest of you, we bow before you. How many of you ever amazed in all that Jesus would call you into his presence to worship him when you know things about you? How would Jesus call me to be a declarer of the mysteries of God, the holiness of God, when I know how unholy my heart is? It's an irony that Jesus would call me to do what he's called me to do. Jesus said, Judas, you got a love for money, and so I need you to come take care of my money. See, our strengths are often our weaknesses. Ain't nobody can take care of money like people who love money. They make sure every penny is right. So Jesus said, Judas, I need you to take care of my money. Judas' ministry was the bag. This was his ministry in the kingdom. He held the bag that contained the treasure that financed the ministry of Jesus. The bag represented his calling in the kingdom. He was the treasure. He, it, it was his purpose in the kingdom. Amen. But if we look in the Bible, if you look back to John chapter 12, if you look in verse number 6, the Bible says that John retroactively understands that Judas didn't say that about giving to the poor because he was filled with compassion. He said the reason that he did that is because he was a thief. But John notes something else. Judas had the bag. Now let's skip forward. To John 13, Jesus knows what's going on in the heart of Judas. He knows that while he's up there ministering in the, in the heart of Judas, there's, there's evil that is lurking. Amen. While, while everybody else is worshiping and praising, he knows that Judas is marrying, marinating on fantasies, that if he ever indulges in them, they will destroy his world. And yet Jesus did not take the bag from him. John 13, 29 
Jesus knowing it. The devil's already put it in his heart. Jesus knew what Judas was thinking while Mary is pouring ointment on the feet of Jesus and washing his feet with her hair. Jesus knows what is going on in the heart of Judas. And let we look at verse 29. The Bible says, for some of them thought because Judas still had the bag. Even though Judas despised worship, he still had the bag. Even though the devil already put it in his heart to betray Jesus, he still had the bag. It I find it amazing that Jesus, knowing what was in the heart of Judas, he left him in control of the treasury. This was not Jesus. You say, well, man, what kind of God is that? That if he knows I struggle in this area, that he would put me in that area. Does that sound a little strange? If I know this person has a trouble with money, why would I put them in charge all by themselves counting the money that comes in? I'm setting them up for, no, no, it's not Jesus setting Judas up for failure. It's Jesus saying, I love you too much to let idols sit dormant in your world. You've got to deal with it, Judas. If you're going to be in my kingdom, you've got to deal with your weaknesses. Some of you right now, you shouldn't have the bag, but Jesus let you have it. Jesus left you with the bag, even though you dropped the ball, even though you messed up, you still got the bag. Isn't God good? He's not interested in how... What degree you hold your arms at in worship? Well, I got them at a 38-degree angle. That's the angle of perfection. No, no, no. He's not interested in how Pentecostal you look and how everybody else looks at you and, and how righteous and how holy you look. No, no, no. He's, he knows what's going on in your heart that none of the other disciples know about. And he's saying, Judas, you got to deal with that. Judas, if you're ever going to be everything you can be, you got to deal with your weakness. you got to deal with the areas. Hey, we want to come to church and keep our idols hidden. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to deal with that. I wish somebody would help me preach for a few minutes. You will never be everything in the kingdom of God with lust raging out of control in your body. Got quiet now. Everybody was like, Jesus is not interested in how holy, holy everybody around you thinks you are. He's interested in your ministry. He's interested in what you bring to the kingdom. And so he's putting it right in. Hey, take the bag because, Judas, we got to deal with this greed. Judas, if you're going to be everything you could be, we got to deal with the hidden things of the heart. But here's the danger in that. begin to believe that just because we still have the bag Jesus must be okay with what's going on in our heart just because we still got the bag because Samson raised his hands after Time, time, time again, Samson tells her a little more until finally he tells her the whole secret. And the Bible says he made as if he would shake himself like he did before. Because we lead ourselves to believe that either Jesus doesn't know what's going on in our heart or he's okay with it. Amen. Let me tell you today, Jesus is not, has not, never will be okay with sin. 
If, if nobody claps your hands, I'm going to say it again. Jesus is not, was not, never will be okay with sin. Just because you can still get anointed doesn't mean God's okay with your sin. You can get on the platform and sing. It doesn't mean God's, you can still have the bag, but that doesn't mean God's okay with your sin. Pastor, I can still shack up on Friday night and speak in tongues on Sunday. It's still not okay. God may still move on you. You may play a musical instrument in this church. You may even preach in this platform. It doesn't mean God is okay with your sin. Don't let the bag deceive you. Don't let the bag deceive you. It's not about what you do in its kingdom. It's about who you are in his kingdom. One of the most condemning and destructive lies that are being propagated, not just by hell, but by modern Christianity, is that God is cool with sin. That grace means that you can despise worship and God is still okay with you. The devil planting all forms of devious desires and thoughts in your mind. But because I'm under grace, God must be okay with it. Because I've still got the bag, it must mean that God doesn't know what's going on in my private world or he doesn't care. Neither one of those are true. God's keeping that bag in your life because he's merciful, because he's reaching for you. Some of you are still anointed because you're under mercy. Some of you are still anointed because God is reaching for you. He doesn't want you to be lost. It's not about the bag. He left the bag in your hands because he loves you. What's the best thing I can do then right now? Pastor, what can I do? Repent. That's the best thing you can do. It's not sing and dance. It's not jump up on the platform. It's bend your knees before an almighty God and repent. But I've got a bag. I still feel the anointing. I still feel God's presence. I still feel the Holy Ghost. The worst place you can be is still feel the Holy Ghost and still living in sin. I'm reaching for a generation in this church right now. Some of you have been playing games with God for far too long. You've been playing the I am new in the church card for years. And God is saying it's time for people everywhere to repent. It's time for you to stop using your bag as a reason why you can't get right with God. It's time to stop reusing all your excuses. And it's time to get right with God. Come on, Judas. There's something in your heart. You may still have the bag, but you're headed for the bread. God will never be okay with sin. Why? Because sin destroys. Sin always, when it is finished, brings forth death. It doesn't matter if you're white or black, brown or yellow. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, bald, or you got hair down to your ankles. It doesn't matter. Sin brings forth death. Amen. 
That's why he hates sin because it destroys families. He hates sin because it destroys children. He hates sin because it destroys minds and destroys spirits. It perverts humanity. I wish you'd let go of your bag for a minute and raise your hands toward heaven. I don't care what position you hold in this church. That does not mean God is okay with your sin. Come on, living hope, humble yourself and put your bag down. Come on, praise singers and musicians, humble yourself and put your bag down. Your bag does not mean the anointing is there. Your bag does not equal the favor of God. Many times it simply points to the mercy of God. I'm almost finished. I believe this with all of my heart. I know as a pastor, I believe Jesus knew if I take the bag from Judas, he's going to go. If I take the bag from Judas, he's going to get offended. and He's going to go. I know right now there's a war in his heart, but I got, still got mercy that can hold. As long as he's got the bag, I can hold on to him. There have been times as a leader, as a pastor, I know there are leaders that ain't living right. I know it. And I still let them hold the bag because I'm praying God will get a hold of them. I'm praying God will get a hold of their spirit. I know if I walk over to them and say, you're out of here, you're off the platform, you're done. I know what will happen, Brother James. They'll walk out that door and they'll walk away from God. So don't let the bag, don't let the fact that you're still holding the bag make you think that God is okay with your sin. He's not okay with your sin. I'm not okay with your sin. You should not be okay with your sin because sin destroys So just for 30 seconds, can we put down our bags? It's not about positions or titles in this church. It doesn't matter whether it's me. Paul said, if I preach any other gospel, if I preach any other gospel unto you, let me be accursed. Me. If I preach to you all these things and yet I don't bring myself under discipline, I'm going to be destroyed doesn't matter the bag doesn't matter come on it's how clean are your hands when you let go of the bag how right are you living before God how right is what's going on in your heart I'm not talking about this little Pentecostal patty cake prayer. I'm talking about brokenness before God because the enemy is causing some things to marinate in your spirit that if you don't deal with them, you're going to end up taking the bread. You're going to end up taking the bread. And after you take the bread, it's too late. It's not too late, though. It's not too late in this building. I don't care who you are. If you're the drummer, Eric, I don't care who you are. If you're the preacher, the teacher, it doesn't matter. It's not too late right now. Mercy is still reaching for you. Mercy is still reaching for you. 
please don't sit back in your chair holding up your little Pentecostal bag, your little bag of entitlement and titles and position, pointing to the fact that you are right with God. Your bag means nothing. Speaking to some of you young couples right now, you need, if that joker loves God, you need to get him by the hand and walk him down to this altar. If he won't come with you, you need to break it off. Please don't bring your bags with you. Leave your bags at your chair and walk down to this altar. Come on, because after the bread, it's too late. After the bread, Satan enters in. But before the bread, there's mercy. Before the bread, there's mercy. Before the bread right now, anybody in this building, I don't care what your past looks like, it's not too late. I'm not going to hell for anybody. I'm not going to hell for you. I love you, but I will not spend eternity in the lake of fire for you. This isn't predestined. You're not predestined. I don't care what the devil has told you. You are not predestined to hell. Yes, somebody's going to go to hell. The Bible tells us, but it doesn't have to be you. Yes, Judas, somebody is going to betray him, but Judas, it doesn't have to be you. Some of you aren't responding. I'm preaching to your soul right now. I'm not preaching to your pocketbook. I'm not preaching to how happy you are in your relationship. I'm preaching to your eternity. And I'm begging you to get down to this altar and get things right with God. Pastor, I'm okay. I prayed yesterday and I felt God. That doesn't mean a thing. But mercy is here right now, mercy. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. This morning when you got out of bed, mercy was pulling at you. This morning when you rolled over and crawled out of bed, mercy was reaching for you. It's not too late. The bread has not been passed. It's not too late to get your heart right with God. Oh, pastor, I'm okay. It's not lust. Pastor, I'm okay. It's not greed. It's just a little bitterness. Bitterness will send you to hell. Nobody knows about it, Pastor. Nobody knows about this unforgiveness that I'm harboring. No, they didn't know about Judas either until after the bread had been taken. And then Satan entered in. And once Satan gets a hold of you, once Satan gets into your family... Listen to me right now. Once Satan gets finished with your children, once Satan gets finished working with your body and your mind, the Bible says Judas wept bitterly after the bread. He lamented, but after the bread, 
Oh, I wish I never would have sold Jesus, but after the bread... And after the bread, he walked back in front of those priests and he took the 30 pieces of silver and he threw it at their feet. But after the bread, he waited until after the bread to get his heart right. I wish what Judas would have done instead, Brother Jones was take that bread when Jesus gave it to him and cast it back at the feet of Jesus. I will not. I know what's been going on in my heart, but I won't betray you, Jesus. I know what the devil has been planting in my spirit, but I will not turn my back on you, Jesus. If you're wondering what you're feeling right now, it's good old-fashioned conviction. And godly sorrow is what brings us to repentance. I pray that God would turn up the heat of conviction seven times hotter in this room to where you would have no choice but to run to an altar before the bread, before the sop. Don't wait until after the bread. Don't wait until after the sop. Don't wait until the devil has destroyed your marriage. Don't wait until your children are given over to perversion. If you don't know how to respond to this kind of preaching, I'm going to tell you, this is where you forget about theology and you buy into neology. And you bow down before an almighty God and you ask him to forgive you. Jesus, oh Lord, I need your mercy. God, I pointed to the bag as evidence that you're okay with what's going on in my heart. I've looked at the bag, oh God, as an assurance that you're okay with the hidden things of my heart. But today, oh God, I realize that you left the bag in my world because you are being merciful unto me. And you don't want anybody in this building to be lost. You don't want anybody in this building that's here today to be lost for eternity. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody, if you will not bow your knee before him on earth, you will not bend a knee before him in heaven. Come on, if you, will, if you will repent now, if you'll submit yourself to judgment in his mercy, you will escape his judgment in wrath. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.